When I was a child, I loved country music. I didn't just love country music. I was collect country music trading cards, record every country music award show, both on VHS and cassette, write weekly letters to country stars in love with country music. From the get-go, my parents had a microphone in my hands, and they had me performing Randy Travis's Digging Up Bones and George Strait's All My Exes Live in Texas in our living room. We have VHS tapes of me at age four singing these songs with the conviction and bitterness of a middle-aged divorcee. While I sang about negligee and ex-wives, I didn't understand the content, but I understood the rhythm and I understood that a story was being told and I was in love. By the time I got to fourth grade, I narrowed my sights and focused my passion into one singer in particular, Reba McIntyre. I spent my days in rural Iowa listening to her songs on my Walkman while mowing our 20 acres of lawn. I would belt out above the sound of the mower the lyrics to Here's your one chance fancy, don't let me down. And that's now in the last we out in Georgia. I read about her in my country weekly magazines, which were tenderly cared for and alphabetized on my bedroom bookshelf. I read her autobiography. I prudently studied her biographies. At one point, I could tell you every single detail about her life. Husband's name? Narvel. Birth date, March 28, 1955. Middle name, Nell. With my handwriting skills excelling by fourth grade, my letter writing efforts to Reba ensued. I would even go so far as to make my mother take pictures of me holding my father's guitar, which I did not know how to play, and sending them to Reba so that she could see that I had what it took to be a star just like her. How many letters I sent her, I don't know. What I told her in these letters, I can't remember, but I wrote and wrote with hopes that she would just once write me back and acknowledge my love for her and invite me to visit her in Nashville. The summer after fourth grade, my parents made a dream realized. They packed me up in our Burgundy Cutlass Sierra and drove me on a blistering August day to see Reba McIntyre in concert at the Iowa State Fair. I was confident that I was going to meet her. Why wouldn't I? I was clearly her biggest fan. In preparation for our meeting, I packed my yellow backpack with the following items. My Reba music video VHS tape, my Reba books, my Reba cassettes, my Reba calendar, my Reba t-shirts, and of course, a Sharpie so that she could sign every last one of my Reba memorabilia. After the show, I stood around with my ever-so-patient parents waiting for her to emerge and meet me. She never came. I remember that walk back to the car like it was yesterday. My head was hung low and tears bit at my eyes as I trudged my backpack full of unsigned Reba McIntyre merchandise to the trunk. While I was so thankful to have seen her singing in the flesh, my nine-year-old heart was broken. I had been so close to her, yet I was still so, so far. 
That next fall, when I entered fifth grade, my parents open enrolled me into a bigger school where I would have the opportunity to learn how to type on a computer and meet more friends. Not knowing a soul at this new school, which was five times the size of my previous school, I knew I had to dress to impress. I carefully selected my outfit for that first day. My hot pink cut-off shorts and my extra-large Reba McIntyre t-shirt. Being the new kid in town, I quickly acquired the nickname Reba. Now, at age 29, I for the first time consider the possibility that people may have been calling me that out of jest. But fifth grade Lindsay responded to that nickname with absolute honor. By sixth grade, I had experienced my I had expanded my <clears throat> By sixth grade, I had expanded my hobbies to also include story writing. My stories were all basically the same and included a plot that focused around Reba and a starstruck girl who hung out with Reba all the time. One particular story I wrote called The Ninth Caller was about a girl, me, who won a radio contest. The grand prize was a trip to Nashville to spend a weekend with Reba and her backup singer, Linda Davis. Using the new typing skills I had learned at my new school, I typed up the story, including a title page, and sent it to Reba. I sent one to Linda Davis, too, just for good measure. Weeks went by after sending that story, and I had almost dismissed the night caller from my memory when I hopped into my mom's car after school one day, and she handed me a big manila envelope. The return address label pierced my heart with volts of excitement. It was an envelope from Reba McIntyre. I tore open the envelope the whole time reveling in the fact that she had touched the same envelope that I was now touching and that her spit had possibly sealed the envelope that was now mine. Inside, I found an 8x10 glossy that read in Reba's pen to Lindsay. Thanks for the great story. Love, Reba. I could hardly breathe. I tore out of the car and ran into the school to show my teacher, Mrs. Soder, who had also taken to calling me Reba. I ran through the hall showing anyone who would look. Tears of joy flooded my eyes. My hands shook. Reba knew I existed. She read my story. We were friends. I proudly framed and hung my 8x10 glossy on my bedroom wall, and I continued to love Reba throughout the years. But as all things often do, my love for her faded. Junior high brought me exposure to bands like Spice Girls and Ace of Bass. I retired my Reba t-shirt in order to adorn more trendy duds like Jenko jeans and No Fear t-shirts. But even though my obsession for her eventually faded, I will never undermine the fact that for most of my childhood, I was able to pour my energies into admiring a strong, confident female who tastefully shared her gift of music with the world. And while Reba McIntyre most definitely does not know who Lindsay Legal is, Lindsay Legal is most definitely better because Reba let me love her and shower her with letters and look up to her in a way I have never looked up to anyone else in my life.